<laughs> Here I am. Hey, uh, love that. Hey, church. Good to see you again. Always a joy for me to be with you here at Essex. I'm usually over at North Ave, but, uh, you know, I can't go too long without seeing your faces. So uh, thanks for having me today. Um, before we get to today's message, uh, just a couple quick reminders of what we got going on. A couple things coming up. Number one is that Tuesday meeting. That's this Tuesday. Sort of a night of vision and to update uh, where we're at as a church and some things going forward. So Pastor Scott's going to be hosting that for us. And he wanted me to let you know a couple things that we'll be talking about that night. We're going to be talking about um, updating you on the sale of our Williston property. We're going to be talking about our COVID response going forward, what that's going to look like, uh, as well as some changes to our uh, denomination from our national level and uh, how and if that affects us here in our local church and uh, what that means being part of the Alliance and just, uh, you know, the connectivity we have with churches all across our country and across the world through our, our national, uh, our international denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance. So be here for that. There's going to be so much more. It's going to be a great night to just hear what's going on, and we hope you feel a sense of connectivity and purpose and a part of that. So members, non-members, everyone, you're welcome to come and enjoy that evening. We'll be here in this room, six o'clock, I believe, on Tuesday evening. So you don't want to miss that. And the second thing uh, I need to tell you on behalf of Pastor Scott is that next week, we're starting a new sermon series. And this sermon series is called Up Close and Personal. And it's really um, a front row seat into life with uh, your life following Jesus. So uh, we're going to start that next week, and that's going to carry through uh, the next few weeks through the Easter season. So don't miss that. Uh, If you're going to tune in online, do that. If you're going to be here, be here. You're not going to want to miss this new sermon series. So um, that's all I got to say about that. Before we come to today's message, though, I want to pause and I want to take a moment to pray. Pray for us, but also continue to pray for... um, what's going on in Ukraine and just the continuously unfolding situation there. So uh, church, would you join me in prayer? God, uh, we're here. We're here for many reasons and whatever compelled us to come today, Lord, we pray that you would meet us here. That as we dive into your word and as we've sung this morning, that you would encounter us deep in our souls and speak to us today. Open our ears, Lord, and let us hear. And God, we continue to pray for what's happening in Ukraine. Just the, the devastation and the loss of life and the fear and the so many people displaced. God, we pray that you would intervene in a mighty way. That you would preserve life. That you would enact your justice and that you would care for people in their suffering. God, intervene and come before you on our hands and knees, Lord, trusting and knowing that you are good and you are in control. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Well, church, today uh, marks the end of birthday week for the Baumgartner family. That's my family, our family unit. Uh, This was birthday week. Today is my wife Taylor's birthday. Uh, So if you know her, if you're connected with her on Facebook or Instagram, or if you have her number, I want you to bombard her today, okay? There's nothing Taylor hates more than being the center of attention, so I want you to make her feel like she's the center of attention today. So if you know her, if you're connected with her, make sure you say happy birthday and really celebrate 
celebrate her uh, today. So that's today. Uh, but earlier in the week, Tuesday, was my oldest son, Jack. It was his birthday, March 1st. He turned eight years old. And uh, for some reason, there was no school on his birthday. Like, why do we have week and a half breaks from school? I, you know, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But he was home from school that day. And so I took Jack on his birthday and his buddy out to breakfast. Uh, we went to sp- to Skinny Pancake down on the waterfront to celebrate his birthday, and we really did it up there at Skinny Pancake. And, and then we came home, and, and we opened gift as a family, opened gifts as a family, and this year for Jack was the year of Nerf. Now, many of you parents have been through the year of Nerf before, I know, maybe multiple years of Nerf, but this was the year of Nerf. I think he got six Nerf guns and like 300 Nerf darts, you know, so I mean, it's, uh, you can imagine what our house is like this week. Um, but after we After we open gifts on Tuesday, uh, the kids, they're running around, they're just, you know, they're shooting each other all over the house with these Nerf darts, and Taylor and I were were sitting on the couch, just kind of taking a moment to breathe and watching them run around, and I said something to her like, hey, remember eight years ago? Eight years ago, right now, we were in the hospital waiting for Jack to be born, and she's like, yeah, that was was really miserable. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, for you, that was really miserable. And uh, And then I said something to her like, I mean, look at him now. He's eight plays hockey. He's a goalie. <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's really smart, and he, he thinks he's really funny. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, you know, time flies. It's amazing. And then you start to think about the future, right? And just start to dream. Oh, what's he going to be like in another eight years? He's going to be driving. He's going to be 16. He's going to be stinking up the house with his uh, teenager essence wherever he goes. You know, as parents, birthdays allow us, uh, give us an occasion to make our kids feel really special and really loved. But for us parents, it gives us an occasion to sort of, to look around, to look back, right? And remember how things were when. And to look at things how they are presently and say, yeah, look how big he is and how far we've come. And it also gives us an occasion to look ahead, to look to the future and dream and say, oh, what's he going to be like when? Eight years from now. And we can do that any time, right? We can do that any day. It's not, you know, it's not reserved for moments like that. But there is something special about the birthday day, right? There's something special about that day. It's a special moment and a reminder for us to do just that, right? To, to look, to look back, to look presently, and to look to the future. And I think, I think we all need those times. We need these occasions and moments that kind of help us gain some perspective, and allow us to step out of the normal flow of time to remember and to dream and to be thankful for where we are now. Uh, throughout the history of the church, you know, 2,000 years worth of history, Christians all over the world have done this very same thing. And we've sort of built it into the rhythm of our years and in our church calendars. Christmas and Easter, these are sort of the two big ones for us where we can take those moments. But there's other moments throughout the year and even, even extended seasons of the calendar that go along with this. Uh, Easter this year is April 17th. And if I've done my math right, you know, (laughs) I'm no mathematician, but that's six weeks from today is Easter. But this past Wednesday was the official start to the Easter season. Ash Wednesday, it's called. You might have heard that term before, Ash Wednesday. It kicks off a season called Lent. Now, uh, Lent isn't necessarily part of our rhythm at Essex Alliance Church. Uh, We don't formally celebrate it, but uh, these 40 days leading up to Easter. But many churches do, and and many churches don't. And uh, it's not necessarily part of our church rhythm, but today I want to 
I want to speak into this a little bit and make it part of our experience. And, and like what I said about birthdays, Lent, this Easter season, is a time for us to look around a little bit, to have a look around, to remind ourselves of some very simple truths and to be challenged as we prepare for Easter. And not just to celebrate Easter, but to continue to live the truth that we celebrate at Easter, that Jesus is risen and he has called us to follow him. So I want to take this morning to lean into this a little bit and, uh, and take the opportunity to look around at ourselves, where we're at in our lives, where we're at in our faith journeys, and consider the call of Jesus to follow him. So uh, in doing that, I want to turn today to a story in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 20. And the story we're going to read takes place in the days leading up to when Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem for the final time before his crucifixion. And what's going to be the last week before his crucifixion on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday, which we celebrate at Easter. So our story takes place in the days leading up to this point. And in these chapters, and in the chapters leading up to Matthew 20, where we're going to be today, Jesus has been, he's been doing a lot of teaching. He's been teaching his disciples and others a lot of things. And during this time of teaching, there's been a refrain that's come around a few times. Three times, Jesus tells his disciples that he is indeed going to die. So here's, a, here's the verses right before our story this morning where Jesus tells his disciples for the third time that he's going to die. So this is Matthew 20, verse 17. It says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and on the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, he's referring to himself there, will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So this is the third time Jesus tells his disciples that he is soon going to die. And, and I don't know how much clearer he can be, right? He just kind of says it to them. My path leads to condemnation, to mocking, to flogging, and to a brutally painful death on a cross. But he also tells them here that this path leads to life, that he will be raised to life. And it's in this context that we come to our story this morning that we're going to dig into a little bit. So we're going to read a couple verses at a time. We'll read and we'll talk about it. We'll read and we'll talk about it. So here we go. We're just going to go right to it. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 21. So right after Jesus tells them for the third time he's going to die, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He said. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Mom, moms are great, right? Moms are great. Uh, moms love their kids and would do anything for them. And sometimes, just sometimes, when they think their kid deserves something, they're just going to go right ahead and storm the castle, right? Moms are great. Uh, a few weekends back was um, my two boys play hockey. It was our end of the year hockey tournament in Burlington. And uh, we're talking little kids. We call them the mites. Uh, the, the oldest on the ice are around eight years old. So it's the end of the year hockey tournament. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen a hockey mom in action before. 
but, uh, <laughs> but I witnessed a lot of castle storming <laughs> over the weekend of this tournament. You know, moms just pounding the glass, yelling at the refs, yelling at the coaches. And uh, I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a bloodbath at the rink. It was crazy. <laughs> moms, you are unmatched in your passion for your kids and your desire to see your kids get all the good things you think they deserve. So James and John's mom, right? These are the sons of Zebedee, James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they, their mom comes to Jesus. And I, I imagine the boy is kind of in tow, right? Following behind her in her wake. And uh, she comes to Jesus with a pretty bold question. And it's, it's such a mom question, right? And Jesus knows it's coming. He sees the mom of two of his students coming. He goes, oh no, what do you want, right? And she comes. He knows what's coming. And she says to him, hey, let my kids sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. She wants her boys to have the two seats of honor right next to Jesus when he sits on his heavenly throne. So mom asked the question, but the question really comes from the boys, from James and John. I don't, I don't know if they put their mom up to it or if they were just kind of talking about it and mom just took the initiative here to go and talk to Jesus. But when Jesus responds to the question, he responds to the boys, not to mom, which I think kind of indicates us indicates to us that uh, the question comes from them. So it really comes from the boys, and we'll see that in a minute. And the question, can they sit at your right and left hand, uh, it seems to ignore or at least misunderstand what Jesus had just said to them about his destiny in the previous verses, right? That he's about to be condemned and beaten and mocked and crucified, now, uh, throughout Jesus' teaching in the previous chapters, he's spoken of his oncoming death three times, right? But he's also spoken throughout this time of teaching about his future kingship, about how he's going to be enthroned. And if you were to turn back a chapter before to Matthew 19, 28, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to sit on a throne and you guys are going to sit on 12 thrones with me. Um, James and John, I think, have heard what they wanted to hear, <laughs> The good parts, right? That part about sitting on the thrones, that sounds really good. And conveniently, the part about, you know, suffering and dying and all that, that's kind of left their minds. They've, they've conveniently missed that part. We humans, generally speaking, we humans tend to have a natural concern, we'll say, a concern with status and with being important. It's a, it's a fundamental instinct, we'll say, of many of us. We want to be important. We want to have respect, we want to be honored, we, we want to have others look at us, look up to us, and, and often, I'm not sure it's so much about having responsibility and power, but, but more so appearing to have that importance and that power. It's an in instinct of ours, to want to be seen as important. Uh, anthropologist Geert Hofstede calls our culture a high power distance culture which means that the powerful like to be seen as powerful, to have the symbols of status and power, the right car, dress the right way, um, the big office, to be recognized as having power. It's something that's been conditioned in our culture and very subtly conditioned in our mind as well, that when you climb the ladder, look like you've climbed the ladder. Now, it wasn't enough for James and John to be told, hey, you're going to sit on a throne with me from Jesus. No, they wanted the best thrones, the ones right next to him, the one closest to Jesus, the seats of honor, and to be seen and have this position of importance, this high status. But Jesus is going to have something to say to this. 
New Testament scholar R.T. France, he comments, he says, the natural human concern with status and importance is clearly one of the most fundamental instincts which must be unlearned by those who belong to God's kingdom. So here's how Jesus responds to their request. This is verses 22 to 23. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Can you drink from the cup that I am going to drink, he asks. Now throughout the Bible, this cup is a symbol. It's a symbol of judgment, of suffering, of punishment even. So the question that Jesus asks James and John here is, well, you want to be exalted, you want to be important, but are you willing to suffer like I'm going to suffer? There's a man named Polycarp who lived in the first and second centuries AD. I I love ancient names, by the way. (laughs) Like Polycarp is an all-timer. But Polycarp, he was a Christian from a young age, like I said, first and second centuries uh, AD. And uh, tradition holds that Polycarp was a disciple of John, one of the sons of Zebedee, right here talking to Jesus about this cup and all that, right? Tradition holds he was one of his disciples. And uh, Polycarp, at some point in his life, was appointed the Bishop of Smyrna, which is a a town in modern-day Turkey. And when he was 86 years old, there was a time of persecution that broke out in the area. And Polycarp, being the leader of uh, of the church in this town, was arrested for his faith. And he was put to death in 156 AD. He was, he was burned at the stake in front of many onlookers. Uh, there's a letter called The Martyrdom of Polycarp, which was written about, about a year after his death. And it, it gives an account of his arrest and of his death. And I just want to read from this letter part of a prayer that's recorded for us. And this prayer is the prayer that Polycarp prays as his hands are bound and as he waits for the fires to be lit below him. So he prays this prayer. He says, Lord God Almighty, Father of thy beloved and blessed servant, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of thee, the God of angels and powers in creation, and of the whole race of the righteous who live in thy presence. I bless thee. His hands are tied. He's about to be burned. He says, I bless thee because... Because thou hast deemed me worthy of this day and hour to take part in the number of martyrs in the cup of thy Christ for resurrection to eternal life of soul and body. For this and everything I praise thee. I bless thee. I glorify thee through the eternal and heavenly high priest, Jesus Christ, thy beloved servant, through whom be glory to thee with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and unto the ages to come. Amen. I think Polycarp understood the necessity of sharing Jesus' cup. That the road to life, to to resurrection, is the road through suffering and death. That's the road Jesus walked. And it's the road Jesus calls his followers to walk after him. 
The kingdom of God is not built on gaining, it's built on losing. It doesn't belong to the powerful, it belongs to the lowly. To reign is to serve. To sit on a throne is to get on your hands and knees and wash some feet. To follow Jesus means that we share with him in the cup. So what does that, what does that mean for us to share in the cup? What does that mean for us today? Does that mean our death? Does it mean my suffering? Well, maybe, but let me suggest a few ways that sharing in the cup can be very real for us today. Number one, Sharing in the cup may mean for you rejection. That when you follow Jesus, you may face rejection from some people. Uh, And it may be because of just philosophical differences you have now. It may be because you've changed and your lifestyle's changed. It uh, may be because of no apparent reason at all. You may feel rejected by friends, by family, by people you don't know, or feel a general sense of rejection from the culture. That might happen. Sharing in the cup may also mean enduring some hostility. Same as with rejection, you may face real open hostility for your faith. You might. Uh, I'm going to share just a quick story without implicating any person or any group or anything like that, but um, just a couple years ago, I was uh, invited to share at a local town meeting in Burlington about uh, our North Ave campus, an event that we were hosting, and um, someone who was part of that group who belonged to our church said, hey, come and share, and they put me on the agenda, and I showed up. And I shared maybe five, six minutes, just, hey, you know, we're, we're here in Burlington. We love our city. We want to serve. We've got this event. Just come and enjoy. We'd love you to be there. And no other reason just to say, hey, come, come and enjoy. And, uh, you know, very vanilla <laughs> in how I talked. But after the meeting, well, I got some comments from some people who were not too thrilled that a Christian pastor representing a Christian church would show up at a public forum place and, and talk about and invite people to come to church, right? Church has no place in the public setting like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, that stuff happens. It happens. It happens. In fact, Jesus told us many times throughout the Bible that following him means this stuff's going to happen. For instance, in John chapter 15, he says this to his followers. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. So, sharing the cup may mean those things. Sharing Jesus' cup also means, I think, uh, death to self. Death to self. You are not your number one priority any longer when you follow Jesus. He is. And when we follow him, he asks us, his followers, to put the needs and concerns of others before our own. And we're going to talk more about this in a minute. But death to self. Following Jesus and sharing the cup may also mean being ready to die. Now, um, you're likely not going to be put to death for your faith. I'm thankful for when and where we live in our modern American Western culture. Um, However, if things changed, and if it came to it, would you be willing to follow Jesus to that end, to share in the cup in that way? This is a question I ask myself pretty frequently. Would I follow Jesus to that end? You know, I, just personally speaking, I, I never want my highest concern to be my own comfortability. 
rather that my faith would increase so that if it ever came to it, God forbid that it would ever come to it, that I wouldn't blink. When Polycarp was arrested, they asked him to recant his faith and that he would be saved from the fires. And his response was, these 86 years my Lord has served me, how could I turn my back on him now? That's the kind of faith I want to have, like him and so many others. Being willing to share the cup might mean these things for us. And I think a real sense of being willing to share the cup means that we don't ask the same question that James and John ask, right? Can I sit at your left and right hand in the kingdom? James and John, I don't think were ready. I don't think they understood it. Though they would indeed share in this cup in a very real way. James in Acts chapter 12, we read that he was killed for his faith. And John, throughout the rest of his life, was often under persecution and threat and even spent a a significant time in exile. Following Jesus means sharing the cup. Now what that means and, and looks like might be different at different times for us, but if we are going to follow him into life, it, it means that we have to follow him through death. Now we'll continue to pull this thread as we finish the story. We'll go to verses 24 through 28 and finish up. So they ask the question, Jesus responds, will you share the cup? Verse 24, when the, uh, when the 10 heard about this, the other disciples, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them all together and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their, their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So the other 10 disciples, they overhear this exchange with Jesus, and they're mad. They're mad at James and John. Not because they're like, James and John, you don't get it. We get it, and you don't, right? No, they want the same thing James and John want. They want those seats of honor. And they're mad James and John got to him first and kind of like elbowed him out of the way on the, on the, going to talk to Jesus about it. So um, Jesus lays it out for them. He calls them together, and he says to them, uh, what he's saying is the kingdom of the world, guys, the kingdom of the world is built on power. And power necessarily means that there are those with power and those uh, over whom power is exercised, right? In the kingdom of the world, there are haves and have-nots. There are rulers and those who are ruled. There are those who prosper and those over whom the ones who prosper trample in order to prosper. And that's how the kingdom of the world is built, And I think we can see this sort of thinking at all levels of our society. It's not just on the top levels, but these power dynamics and status and importance and wanting to be first, we see it everywhere. We see it on the playground. We see it in our families, in the workplace. And sometimes we see it in the church. A little over a thousand years before Jesus has this exchange with his his disciples, the, the people of Israel, they didn't have a king. They were living in the land of Israel and they were in a time where neighboring nations were coming and and invading and and causing a lot of trouble for them and anxiety. So the people of Israel get together and they go find the prophet Samuel and they say to Samuel, hey, Samuel, tell God that we want a king. We want someone with power and authority who's going to bring us security and increase our armies and keep us safe. Give us someone with power. 
And God responds to the people's request through the prophet Samuel. And this is what he says in 1 Samuel 8 to them. He says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He'll take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they'll run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants, the best of your cattle and donkeys, he'll take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. And this is what human power does, Jesus says. The Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles rule it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, he says. But not so with you. To be great means you must be a servant. If you want to be first, (laughs) you have to be a slave. Because that's what Jesus did. He shows us what real power is and the pattern for the kingdom of God. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. It's what we do. He didn't come to be served, so followers of Jesus, we don't get to be served. He came to serve, so followers of Jesus, we serve. I said today was going to be about uh, looking around, right? Looking around at our lives, our faith journeys, and our past, present, and future, and kind of consider this call of Jesus to follow him throughout this Easter season. So looking back at our passage today, um, James and John and their mom, right, come to Jesus, and he asks them two questions. And I think these questions are for us today as well, that will help in this process of looking around and evaluating. So I'm going to allow Jesus to ask us these questions this morning, these two questions. The first one being, what do you want? What do you want? James, John, and mom come with a request. They want something from Jesus. And I I don't think that's much different with us. We all come to Jesus wanting something from him. That's not bad, right? We want a better life. We We want an end to our problems. Maybe we want to kick that addiction that we've been dealing with for a while. We want happiness. Maybe we want to make our spouse happy. And that question, what do you want? The answer for us might change over time. It's likely going to. What you want from Jesus now isn't going to be what you want from Jesus in a year or what you wanted maybe a week ago or 10 years ago. Uh, My wife, Taylor, her grandfather passed away recently, just about a month ago. Tom, he was in his late 80s and he'd been suffering for a while. And um, man, Tom loved Jesus. He loved Jesus a lot. He was a really great man. So our our family unit, the four of us, we traveled here from Vermont down to St. Louis, where uh, Taylor's grandfather, Tom, and his wife, Joyce, lived their whole lives together uh, to be with the family and and celebrate his life. And I was asked to give the message during the funeral service, and in the days leading up to it, I was talking on the phone with Taylor's dad about his dad, Tom, and uh, I learned something about Tom and Joyce. Um, when, When Tom and his wife, Joyce, started dating, they were young, they were like 
18, 19 years old. And Joyce was a Christian. But Tom was not. And Joyce pretty quickly made it clear to him, hey, <laughs> I don't want to date someone, let alone marry someone who isn't also a Christian, right? So um, she made that known. And so they started going on dates together to make her happy. <laughs> he started taking her on dates to Youth for Christ meetings. Um, Youth for Christ, maybe you're familiar, maybe not. It's like a, a parachurch organization. I mean, it's in the name, Youth for Christ, okay? It's, <laughs> get the picture. Um, but Tom wanted to date Joyce, and this was the date, way to do it. We're going to go to these Youth for Christ meetings. And wouldn't you know, during one of their Youth for Christ dates, Jesus encountered Tom in a very real way, and he said yes to following him. And from that day forward, he loved Jesus and served Jesus and the church in a variety of ways. When I heard that story, I couldn't help but smile. <laughs> it's a cute story. And the point, I think, is for all of us, that when we come to Jesus... We all want something from him. Now, Tom, when he came to Jesus for the first time, he, he just wanted to date this woman. <laughs> we all want something from Jesus. We have our own ideas, our own needs, our own wants, and our own preconceived notions about who Jesus is and what it is that he offers to us. But when we come to him with our wants, Jesus often challenges us. And eventually, we all have to evaluate what it is I want from Jesus and kind of weigh that against what it is Jesus actually offers. You know, because what we want isn't always what Jesus offers to us. Or um, what we want may not be exactly what we need at that time. Or what we want may be on the other side of a situation that we're desperately trying to avoid. When we come to Jesus, we eventually have to deal with this question, what do I want? What do I want from him? So I just encourage you this Easter season today and in the coming days, uh, allow Jesus to ask you this question. What is it you want? Let that sink in and really ponder it and evaluate what I want, what he offers, and, and where those gaps are. So that's the first question Jesus asked today. The second question, the big one, that he's going to ask us this morning is, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Following Jesus means sharing that cup. So are you willing? Are you able? It may mean some things. It may mean uh, facing rejection or hostility. It may, it may not. And I think the heart of this question for us really is, um, am I willing to drink the cup? Am I willing to put myself aside? Be willing to be last. Be willing to serve instead of be served. Am I willing to die to myself? The path Jesus walked was straight into the arms of death so that others could benefit from it. And are we, am I, are you willing to do the same? To put aside our own wants and our own needs to make sure others benefit and to defer credit, to give someone else the glory, to be last. Can you drink the cup? Jesus asked this question to James and John and Afterwards, in verse 23, he says to them, well, in, you are going to drink the cup. Indeed, you will drink it. If we follow Jesus, this, this is the path. This is the way. It's, drinking the cup is unavoidable. So we got to ask ourselves, am, am I willing? Am I ready to share the cup? That might sound a little scary. But if you are willing, on the other side, there is something better. 
Following Jesus doesn't end with the cup. It ends with life, with resurrection. And following Jesus means we follow him into life and into resurrection. Life abundant and life eternal. You know, Colossians chapter 1 verse 18 says that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first to experience the resurrection life. The first, not the last. He's the firstborn. And when we share the cup with him, we share the life that comes with it, right? His fate is our fate. His future is our future. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with him. We inherit what he inherits, life. We are crowned in his kingdom along with him. We experience what Jesus experiences through death, yes, but into life. I just want to share two quick quotes from N.T. Wright. He's a, he's a biblical scholar that I think help punctuate the point. So here's two quick quotes. The first one, he says that the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you're now invited to belong to it. What he's doing has been unveiled. It's been revealed. And we're invited to belong to that resurrection life in Jesus. Second quote, he says, the resurrection gives you a sense of what God wants to do for the whole world. What we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection, what happened to Jesus, that's just the first taste of God's plan for all of us and for all of creation. Jesus' resurrection isn't just for Jesus, it's, it's for you, it's for me, it's for us. It's what God wants to do with us. Behold, he is making all things new, and that includes you and I. New life, new hope, new resolve, a new sense of purpose, a new ability to love, and a new security knowing that I am indeed loved. A new future with him. Resurrection is the destiny of all who follow Jesus. But in order to experience resurrection, we first have to drink the cup. To have life means we have to experience death in some way. So he asked the question, can you drink the cup? Now that's a big question. It's a hard question. Day to day, moment to moment, I know my, how I answer that question is gonna change. And in our own strength, I don't know if any of us are really ever able to share in Jesus' cup. So maybe the question is, are you willing? Do you want to? Do you desire to follow Jesus no matter the cost? On the other side of the cup is life and life abundant and life eternal. So today, church, through and through the rest of this Easter season, we have a chance. We have a chance to, to look around, to look at our past and to look where we are now and to look and dream about the future and, and evaluate what it means to follow Jesus and to remind ourselves that, yeah, following him is costly, but the return is so much greater than the cost. 
So just say, don't miss the opportunity. Just take this time to get real with yourself, to get real with God. You know, evaluations can be painful, especially self-evaluations, right? It means like seeing some hard truth about ourselves and, and wrestling with that and our expectations. And, but those moments, that hard work, usually, maybe always, set us, set us in a better course. So, yeah, I don't know all of you. I don't know where you're all at. I don't know what you want from Jesus or, or what you want from the church, but I, I think you do. I think you know those things. So I just say, don't, don't give up when things get hard. Don't give up when the ask seems too big or when the task in front of you seems impossible. God is always working in us and alongside of us. And where you're at right now isn't, isn't where you're gonna be in the coming days. And where you're at right now, you know, it's not where you used to be. God's not done with you. So don't miss a moment like this Easter season to, to do some of the good work of looking around. So when Easter comes, yeah, we're going to have a joyous Easter celebration. But we can also continue to walk with a new sense of purpose, a new sense of life, a new sense of joy as we follow our Lord through death into life and into the future he has for us. So church, uh, let's pray as we end our time together. Would you stand? And we'll pray. So God, thanks for the opportunity that right now we have a moment in our, in our lives and in our calendars where we can um, step back a little bit and do some of this looking around. Help us not to be afraid of that. In fact, Lord, give us great joy in that because we know that taking time to, to ask ourselves these questions and to really wrestle with it Oh, there's such good things ahead in that process. So Holy Spirit, would you help us in that? Open our eyes, open our hearts to the good work you want to do in us, to setting us on a course where we are not afraid, but we have great expectation that the life that you have given us and the life that you offer us is so much better than life without you. So God, be with us in this. Set our feet on the right path. Help us in those moments we stumble, not to feel guilty and not to feel afraid, but to feel a great sense of trust in you, that you are with us and that you don't give up on us. Help us, Lord. And as we go from this place today, Would you help us to continue to be living examples of the good work that you do to change lives and to give life? So God, we thank you for what you've done, for what you're doing, and all you've yet to do. We praise you and we thank you. Amen. Amen, church. It's a joy to be with you. If you're a member, don't forget to go vote. We'll see you again soon. God bless you as you go.